the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week we're going to look at the issue of pension auto-enrolment. After years of delay and missed deadlines, the government is proposing to introduce the scheme next year, although there is much scepticism in the pensions industry about this time frame. It's aimed at those in work who are not already in a pension scheme and is designed to provide them with a decent income on retirement. To tease out the details, I'm joined in studio by Jerry Moriarty, Chief Executive of the Irish Association of Pension Funds, and by Barra Rowntree, an Assistant Professor of Economics at Trinity College in Dublin. I began by asking Jerry to outline how auto-enrolment will work and who it will target. Okay, so auto-enrollment is basically going to be a pension scheme designed for people who are currently working but are not in a pension scheme. So either their employer doesn't have one or it could also include people who've decided not to join it. Anybody over the age of 23 earning over 20000 a year under the age of 60 um, will be identified using revenue data effectively. Um, their employer will be notified by a new body that's going to be set up to administer it called the Central Processing Authority um, that they that employer needs to start making contributions uh, for the individual. Um, it's envisaged in year one contribution to start 1.5% of gross earnings from the individual one and a half percent from the employer, half percent from the state. Uh, there won't be any tax relief on it as there currently is. Uh, it'll be a direct state contribution to their account. Um, and then those uh, contribution rates increase every three years until they eventually get to 6% from the employee, 6% from the employer and 2% from the state. Um, so it'll be invested, there'll be choice investment funds. If you don't want to make a choice, there'll be a sort of default um, investment fund. Um, and then you can only take the benefits when you retire at state pension age, which is obviously currently 66. Okay, so how many people are likely to be eligible or enrolled in this? Um, I think the, the last figures the department had looked at was something like 720,000 people. But I think because the labour force has grown so much since, you're probably looking at over 800,000 people. Right. And as the name suggests, auto-enrollment, you're going to be automatically enrolled but you can decide to opt out, can't you? Yes, you can opt out. So the the idea of auto-enrollment is, you know, in many ways, if you're going to, you know, not having a pension is such a big problem, you would just make it mandatory and, and lots of countries do that. But I think it's much more politically acceptable to have some level of choice involved. So you will have the option to opt out. You can only opt out, though, after you've been in it for six months. So you can only opt out in months seven and eight. So it's a sort of limited time period for opting out. Um, and then there are various circumstances where you can sort of suspend your contributions for some time as well, you know, financial hardship, things like that. But yes, you will be able to opt out. Uh, if you do opt out, though, you're going to be re-enrolled every two years. So, you know, kind of keep coming you out. keep opting you. out. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now... It sounds to me like this is going to be targeted at lower paid people and also people probably working for SMEs. Yeah, it's not particularly targeted those, but those are, it probably is actually, because those are the areas where you tend to have lower coverage. So um, there are some sectors of the workforce where you have very high pensions coverage. So, you know, obviously public sector, financial services, pharmaceutical. Um, but when you look at areas like retail, hospitality, uh, agriculture, tend to be lower paid, much more transient workers, they don't tend to have pension plans in place. So I think 75% of the people who'll be enrolled are uh, basic rate taxpayers, standard or basic rate taxpayers. So yes, a large percentage will be lower paid. Barra Rountree, 
Has Odd One Roman worked in other countries? Where has it applied elsewhere? Yeah, so effectively where this has been rolled out, it has been very effective at achieving what the, the aim of the policy is, which is to raise pension coverage rates for those who don't have it. So we've seen it in the in the UK in particular. Um, they, they rolled it out a few years ago. And what we saw was that people, they can roll it out in, in, in batches. So actually, you know, larger firms went first. And that actually allowed people to try work out, well, how many people actually did end up getting pension coverage you wouldn't have otherwise. And what you saw was big increases in, in, in pension enrolment rates. So particularly amongst those groups who wouldn't have previously had a pension, you saw essentially up, uh, uptake increase massively. And, th- and the reason for this is because essentially you're changing the default decision. That's the whole basis on which auto enrolment is, is, is involved around. Pensions are not particularly interesting. People can put it on the back finger, particularly when they're younger. And so end up just leaving it and not kind of getting involved into a pension scheme. But if you switch that decision around, if you say, well, you're by default into a pension scheme and you have to choose to opt out, what you see is just most people go, that's fine, I'm happy, now that's sorted and I don't have to think about it. And so that, that's kind of one of the, the, the nice bits about this policy and why it kind of works so well is it just changes changes that default decision and and then it can help alleviate the kind of the why you're trying to do it is because you have this group you're worried about that aren't saving up for retirement who aren't necessarily the lowest lowest paid right in terms of the people who you're worried about are the people who maybe are earning you know average kind of salaries during their working life but then get into retirement and they just have the state pension they're the people you're really worried about and they're the people who are benefiting most in that sense from this policy because they're essentially being nudged into putting a little bit aside for retirement that they otherwise wouldn't have I mean they're not going to face that kind of drop in living standards when they get retirement. So from that point of view, automatic enrolment works. Um, but then the way the government are doing it is maybe a bit different from how it's been done in other countries. And it's not clear that there's these kind of other bits which are associated with auto enrolment, which aren't necessarily needed and which are, are making actually the whole introduction of it quite a lot more complicated than it needs to be. Okay, so you make, make it sound like a really good idea. So why has it taken so long? Because it was first mooted in 2006 by the late Seamus Brennan, who was then the Minister for Social and Family Affairs. And we know that in recent years, a number of timelines have been missed. They're talking about an introduction of it next year, but nobody in the industry really thinks that's realistic or, or going to happen because we don't have the legislation in place. We don't have this central processing authority that Jerry spoke about uh, in place. Why is it taking so long? So I think a chunk of it is that they took a long time deciding how exactly they wanted to do it. And so, again, as you say, the legislation hasn't been fully brought into place yet. So it is very, very unlikely we'll see it brought in. They, they still say they're trying to bring it in by mm. next year, but I think everyone acknowledges that's very unlikely to happen. Um, and as well, you're, you're trying to introduce it, and this is kind of another aspect of it, is there's never quite a good time to do it because, you know, we were recovering from the recession. So you had a lot of, you know, people who... Uh, maybe their earnings were only starting to kind of recover and you didn't want to be telling them, oh, well, you have to put a little bit of that aside to uh, uh, to keep for your pension. You had, you know, you didn't want to kind of risk damaging employment by saying to employers, well, you have to make an additional contribution. And so there's always that kind of, I think, a bit of trepidation around that as well as just having to decide the details. But now we're in a position then, as you say, where we've still got these issues, right? You, you've, even more so, you've got the fact that the costs, electricity costs for, for many businesses are very high and, if, if if it is employers who ultimately pay the additional pension contributions, well, you're essentially putting additional cost onto them at a time when maybe we're looking into a recession. And so from that point of view, you want to go a bit carefully there. But also if it's, you know, and it's not actually clear who ends up ultimately actually paying for auto enrollment, that's one of the bits that is, is less clear, right? But if, if it actually ends up that workers get paid less than they otherwise would, that essentially wages grow less fast. Well, you're doing that at a time when inflation is very high, when, when, when you've got this cost of living crisis. So there's, you know, there's a political reason to go carefully, but there's also then been, there's a whole set of kind of details that they hadn't worked out how they wanted to proceed until relatively recently and that's kind of been one of the delays there as well. So there, there's, a, there's a few factors going into it but part of it is that there's never kind of an easy time politically to, to, to do this to sell people that well to sell people and, and tell their employers well you need to actually pay a little bit extra uh, or you need to hold back a bit of money for your pension. 
So Jerry explained that there is no tax relief for anybody who has a uh, who's involved in a, a pension scheme at the moment. Um, it relates to the level of tax you're, you're paying at the moment. So it's a government contribution, which is effectively, I think, going to equate to about 25%. But if you're a higher earner, if you're paying the higher rate of tax, you're getting much more relief through your, your pension schemes at the moment. So is this a fair way to go about it? So I, I don't think it is particularly. It, it you know depends a little bit on what you think is fair and which are the groups that you really want to benefit. But the way the pensions work at the moment is that essentially you can think of the the tax that's paid as deferred, right? You get tax relief on the way in. So money you put into a pension, you don't pay tax on it then, but rather you pay tax when you draw down your pension. So you can think of it just as smoothing out your income over time and the tax system kind of doing that as well. What's being proposed, you know, it's been described in various different ways, but as you say, it effectively amounts to about a 25% contribution. So rather than getting tax relief at your marginal rate, that's if you're you're paying at the 20% rate of income tax, getting relief at the 20% rate. If you're paying at the 40%, getting 40% relief. What you're going to get is a flat, effectively a flat contribution. And so that's going to mean it's more uh, advantageous for some people, for some lower earners, but less for others, for people who are above the higher rate of tax. And now the reason you know, the government say that they're doing this because uh, in, in the legislation or the draft legislation that they're bringing through, they say they're doing it because they say workers don't really understand the current system. And so therefore we need to change the whole system of taxation to encourage more people to save. But that doesn't really align with the whole purpose of auto enrolment, which is that it changes the default decision. Auto enrolment works because you've just changed the default. So people just are opted in, they stay opted in because it's too much of a hassle to to look into these things. So you don't actually need to do that bit of changing the tax relief. This is kind of an optional extra, which the government have kind of tacked on the side, and I think really risks complicating things. And it risks complicating things because you're going to end up with, say, some people who go into an automatic enrolment pension and will have that pot over there, but then they'll have another pot, which is kind of a standard pension if they change jobs. And people are changing jobs a lot. You know, people aren't just in the one employer for life. And particularly these people we might be worried about, you know, early on in their careers, they're going to move to other employers or maybe they move into the public sector and you're going to have all these different pension pots. So you're building this complexity and they haven't actually set out how this is going to work down the line. They said, oh, that's a detail we can work out down the line. And so I think that's something to be a little bit worried about. But it's also, from that point of view, it's not necessary. You could get and you could achieve what the policy would set out to do without doing this additional bit of complexity. And again, this this runs the risk of, because it introduces this additional complexity, we're delaying the rollout of auto-enrolment when we don't really need to be from that point of view. You could just keep the system as it is today and it would be a lot more interoperable. You wouldn't have this complexity mm. and you'd be able to introduce AE faster. But they want to do this additional bit for reasons that I don't think are particularly sensible, but it's what the government have decided. Jerry, I wonder, is this a stalking horse for reducing the high rate of tax relief that's available to high earners for uh, pensions, the, the 40% that Barra mentioned. I mean, this has been a subject of a lot of debate over the years and some political uh, toing and froing as well. And there's been talk maybe equalising it between uh, 20 and 40, you know, I don't know, 30% or something, something like that. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, it's a possibility. I mean, I'd agree with Barra completely. It's just unnecessarily complicating a system we're trying to make more simple anyway. Um, I think the other issue about doing it in this way, which I'm not sure people have really understood either, is that it also means the the contributions come off your gross wages. So your 6% employee contribution is going to be a lot greater reduction in your take-home pay than if you're paying 6% and getting tax relief on it. Um, And it's you know, it's also planned to be on your total gross earnings, whereas most pension schemes ex- exclude fluctuating earnings such as bonuses and things like that. So actually the contributions people who are auto-enrolled are paying in are going to be a bigger chunk out of their take-home take pay. I, I do think, I mean, 
you know, this whole issue of tax relief and pensions has been looked at many times in the past. And I think it's almost a case of it's, it's too difficult to fix. It may not be the best way in the world, but there doesn't seem to be a better way. Um, and I think the tax deferral issue is really important because one of the arguments being put forward for having the same contribution for everybody in auto enrolment is that the government is forcing you to save, effectively forcing you to save for your retirement. Therefore, it's only reasonable they give everybody the same incentive. But that only works if you tax everybody in the same way and on the way out. And it seems like they're sticking with the same model. Whereas, you know, the taking whatever you get out of the auto-enrollment system, if you're a higher-rate taxpayer, you pay a higher-rate tax on that, um, even though you've got the same contribution as somebody else, you'll pay less or no tax. I, I think the additional thing on that as well is that what this is applying to, this change, is only auto-enrollment pensions, right? And it's only essentially on defined contribution pensions, which is where you actually pay in a fixed yeah. amount right into a pension fund. What this change wouldn't apply to is defined benefit pensions. Now, the, you know, the only place left for defined benefit pensions really now are the public sector pensions. So by virtue as well going down this, and I think you're right, it is a st- essentially it's a back road way to changing tax relief to something that bits of the government, particularly the Department of Social Protection, would like to change it to anyway. And they've essentially decided to do it through automatic enrolment because that's their area, so they can put it through there. So you're essentially changing the tax system for one set of pension contributions, those people in automatic enrolment defined contribution schemes, but you're not changing it for defined benefit schemes, which are largely public sector schemes as well. And I think that's a, that's a bit of a think of a problematic issue in the way of if you are if that is the reason this is being done to kind of try get that long-standing wish by some in government to equalize the the, the percentage contribution well you're only applying it to defined contribution pensions not to define benefit and, and there are better ways like if you think that the taxation of pensions in, is unfair I think there's there's reasons you might want to think about that but there's much better ways to solve that and like for example the tax-free lump sum at the moment you can get 200 grand tax-free as a lump sum and then another 300 grand where you only pay 20 percent tax now that's an area where you see, in particular, you know, very well-paid public servants coming out and getting their big tax-free lump sum. They get two hundred grand of that tax-free, and then again, if they're you know, particularly on a sec-gen salary or something like that, they're getting even more at only twenty percent. So, if, if, you know, if you can think that the pension tax system is unfair, but there are much simpler ways to address it, and the tax-free lump sum is one of those ways. And you know, that's been something the Commission on Tax and Welfare, the recent one which I was part of, recommended we address. And you could do that and leave the system a lot more simple than what has been proposed by this change. Jerry, uh, if you earn twenty one grand a year, and let's say you go into the scheme at uh, twenty eight, what kind of uh, pension pot are you going to have at the end? Um, what percentage of your, you know, of of your lifetime earnings is it likely to achieve? Um, can't do the calculation on the spot, but it will actually get you an adequate pension because what's an adequate pension? It varies. I mean, generally, people will say they they talk about replacement rates. So, you know, what your salary was pre-retirement, generally somewhere between 50 and 75 percent would be touted as a a, a good figure to aim for. It depends hugely on your income. I mean, if you're a low earner and you're struggling to live on a day to day basis, 50 percent of your pre-retirement income isn't going to cut it. If you're obviously a higher earner with a lot of disposable income, then yes, that will work fine. And you're more likely to have other savings anyway. but combined with social welfare pension and the contribution rates, which, you know, one of the issues Barra talked about is the, you know, really high take up and auto enrollment in the UK, very low opt out rates, but very low contribution rates. Um, Nest, which is they're almost equivalent to the CPA. It's not the only provider, but it's the kind of provider of last resort. They can't turn down any business. Um, they have something like 10 million members now. Um, they've got, I think, 29, 30 billion in assets. Um, but their average fund account is about 2,000 pounds. 
pounds because the UK has a much lower contribution rate. It's also on a band of earnings. It's not in your total earnings. Um, whereas we're looking at 14% of your total earnings. For somebody doing that over their working lifetime, you're easily going to come out with probably 60, 70% of your um, final salary. Uh, and it's even debatable for many people, their final salary is the largest salary they've ever earned. They've probably stopped paying their mortgage or certainly for this the generation. 60, 70% does that include state pension? That would include state pension as well. Um, you've probably stopped paying your mortgage for this generation. Um, you know, hopefully your kids are grown up and moved out. So you're probably at a point in life where you've your kind of most disposable income you've ever had anyway. So, you know, whether that relative to your final salary, but it's sort of built to provide an adequate pension in, in retirement. It's, it's quite ambitious in that regard. I think we need to have a chat after this podcast, uh, Jerry, because I can tell you, looking at my documents, my pension documents, it doesn't seem to be adding up to uh, 50 to 70 percent, never mind 60 to 70 percent. Um, but anyway, that's for that's for another day. Uh, what about the state pension, Barra? Again, there's been um, a lot of concern over the years and a lot of chatter in the background that it should be could be done away with. Um, you can't rely on it uh, being there for you when you retire in 10, 15, 20, 25 years' time, uh, whatever it might be. Again, is this a way of the state sort of shifting the, the burden somehow and, and moving away from uh, its current obligations around the state pension? Because we're told that it's going to become a huge burden, financial burden for the state as our population ages. Yeah, so I don't think we're ever going to see the end of the state pension, right? I think it's always going to be there in some form, but it's about probably the level that it's at and the generosity that's there. And so there's a kind of few bits going on for that. Like, So the, the reason the cost of the pension is, is state pension is going to rise is because of our demographic change. So currently we have very favourable demographics in Ireland in, in the sense that we have lots of working age people relative to the elderly population. That's going to very quickly change. So, you know, in about 20 years' time, we're going to be about as old as Italy is today. And, you know, you can get a, you know, if you're, if, if you're in Italy, Italy feels like a lot older country than Ireland, right? But the, And we're going to change to that and we're going to transition to that quite quickly. Uh, and, and so that's one of the reasons that the cost of pensions is going to go up. So then you have that pressure on the exchequer. And what we, you know, one of the routes to dealing with that was proposed, and this was proposed for a long time, this was actually legislated to come in for until the recent election, was that we'd raise the state pension age. And that was going to be the mechanism for keeping down the cost a little 68. bit. 68. Yeah, exactly. And and that ultimately would, it would rise and rise yeah. in gradual steps. But that was a huge hot potato during the last election. And it became a huge hot potato. And so instead, what the government have essentially decided, said they want to, to do in, uh, in, instead is that they're going to keep the state pension age at the lower level uh, and rather how it's going to be paid for is increase in pay-related uh, social insurance contributions, PRSI. Um, now, that kind of, I think, interacts a little bit with this auto-enrollment issue in the sense that what we're being told is that employer PRSI in particular is going to increase at the same time that automatic enrollment's coming in. So I think that understandably has quite a lot of firms, particularly SMEs, worried about in terms of their cost base, that they're, they're, that they're worried about being said, well, you have to make sure that your employee is rolled in pension and that they have... that. that that there that provision is being made there and pay some employer contributions, but also that they're going to be hit with the higher uh, um, employer PRSI contribution. So I think there is a kind of a, a real concern. I think that's adding into, kind of, as you mentioned at the start, the, the fact that we're not. It's it's unlikely we'll see this happen soon because in this kind of environment we have cost of business also increasing, and you have you know particularly seeing in the hospitality sector and that and some businesses not not kind of continuing there. That I, th I think that is going to temper how fast they bring this in or at what rate, and we'll see. I think we're ultimately going to see a lot more gradual, in part because you've got these two things happening at the same time. You've got the the rising cost of the state pension, and then 
and, 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 and essentially the state trying to push more of the burden of that onto the working age population and employers. And then at the same time, you've got then automatic enrolment being brought in and, and kind of the same kind of I- issue there with the burden trying to be pushed onto, onto workers and employers. And, and there is a good question then, as you say then, is, you know, is that really the best approach or is the state in a position to take on more of that risk uh, and, and what is the best type of system you have up? And there, there's a good, there, there probably is a broader debate around the pension system that we could have and, you know, the, we had a commission on pensions to try to think about some of these issues, but it, it was essentially just ignored by the government and none, you know, and, and, and that was kicked to touch. So there, there are these kind of big issues, but every, and, and, and the reason they become a hot potato because they involve some people losing and in particular people who maybe vote more often losing. And so that's the thing. Well, the reason the it became a hot here. potato is because Sinn Féin did so well at the election and it, be, it was an issue for, for them. They were against it. Yeah, and, and, and but I think in particular the reason it became... And now they're leading the polls. Yeah, and, and, and in particular it was an issue amongst a certain cohort of voters as well, right? This, this you know, I don't, I don't think the issue about the pension age rising was particularly one raised by voters in their 20s and 30s and 40s. There's more people approaching retirement who said, well, I'm going to be now having to work longer and I don't like that and they're more and likely to vote. lose 26, 27 grand. Yeah, and, and so that's why it gets so, so I think, such a, a difficult issue. But effectively what we've ended up deciding, and this I don't think we've had the proper discussion about, is that it's going to be the future working age population who will pay in terms of higher taxes. on Because PSI is only levied mm. on the working age population. It's not levied on pen, uh, those above the pension age. So you, you have there, we've implicitly made a choice around this, but we haven't really had that, I think, conversation out loud. And if you're making that choice at the same time that you've got other intergenerational issues in, that you know, lots of your columnists in the paper writing about all the time in, in terms of housing, you know, you actually have the recipe there for something that could 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 build up over time, that, that we're yeah. consistently making decisions to favour one particular generation over another. So costs for a low-paid individual um, that, that they haven't faced to date, and as Jerry said, um, that might put the squeeze on them in short term, at least in terms of their cost of living. But what about the costs for businesses, for the SMEs, the small SMEs in particular, who are going to have to make these uh, contributions, building up to 6% over a period of uh, three years. Any numbers out there on how much this is going to cost business and, and how they're going to afford to pay for it? Or have, has any research been done on whether this might actually tip a few businesses over the cliff? I, th- I think there's been bits of research done there, but again, a lot of the research around this area was done at a time when we didn't have the very high levels of inflation that we're now having, um, when the economic outlook was looking a lot rosier than it is now. So I, I think that very much is, and concerns around that are feeding into why people don't think this is going to happen in the near time, and that if you were suddenly to land employers with these additional costs, if it is the employers who pay for it, right, because there, mm. there is that question about maybe it results in lower wages for workers and is that something that workers particularly want at a time when the cost of living crisis is on but if it does land on employers well they've got that cost they've also got the cost then of as I mentioned the PRSI coming down the line the higher PRSI to cover the cost of the higher state pension so you know, I, I think I think there is a real question about maybe the t- the timing of how quickly this is rolled out, and and whether whether we want to proceed with going as aggressively as we are in terms of the the level of contributions, and so the, one about when we start, and then also about how quickly we get up to that level that that, that we talked about in terms of the the six percent and the like. At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Jerry, what's the view in the industry about how this should be managed and what fees the pension fund manager is going to charge? 
So the legislation um, sort of outlines, well, sorry, it, I don't think it's outlined in legislation, but they have talked about the, the maximum fee would be about half a percent um, per annum. Mm. Um, How does that compare with uh, pension provision? Uh, for very large pension schemes, uh, they're probably doing it for less than that. Um, but then the employers would be picking up a lot of the admin costs associated with those schemes. Um, for individual plans, um, you're probably talking about one, one and a half percent. But then there are a lot of additional costs in terms of the whole advice piece. Um, you know, on this, you shouldn't need marketing costs. Um, you shouldn't need advice costs. You know, people are just enrolled. Um, what's not clear, though, is they're talking about the half percent covers the admin and the investment management. And because they're setting up a brand new administration system, it's not clear how much that how much of the cost that will be taken up in that. Um, you are talking about a lot of scales, so you're going to be managing funds of billions, so you can get the cost really low on those. Um, but this process of, you know, hiring an administrator started in July. It now looks like it'll be finished early this year, early next year. Um, haven't started the process of hiring the investment managers yet. Uh, the administrator will then have to set up a brand new administration system for it a different type of pension system we've had before. Um, all that leads into, you know, just this delay and uh, I, I think brings back into this question, you know, whether it's actually feasible to happen in 2024. Yeah, so Joe Brennan had a story last week saying the Department of Social Protection was go going to launch this month its search for a company to build and uh, run this central processing authority and that it could be up to um, £150 million. A ten-year contract up to 150 million. So, who pays that 150 million? Again, that's a good question because obviously, when they're setting it up, there are no funds there. Um, so, it will probably have to be a loan from the state. Um, and certainly, the the kind of nearest equivalent in the UK, Nest, um, they had a loan from the state, which has just kept growing and growing. And the, the time by which they have to pay it back um, has kind of pushed out the whole time, uh, even though they've been very successful. Um, but, um, and the reason it has to be a loan for state, I think, is to deal with state aid issues because, you know, you've now got a system that is in some ways in competition with the private sector. Um, so ultimately, it will come from member funds. So it'll just be part of the administration fee. But the funds need to get to a certain level before you can start paying that. Mm. OK. Um, is this going to work, Barra? Again, I think it could. Um, whether it'll work in the current form that's envisaged is less clear. And again, uh, uh, what you kind of think got a sense of what we've had or a sense of this conversation is there's lots of decisions the government have made to do things which isn't necessarily the most simplest way they could have done it. And there there would have been simpler ways to proceed, which is essentially keeping the kind of system that we have in place and just defaulting people into a fund. And then you wouldn't have to make all decisions around the CPA, as we're talking about. You, you know, you wouldn't have as many of these issues which are now leading to delay. So, again, I, I think it very much could and should happen, but whether it happens uh, in the way that they're talking about it and as quickly as they're talking about it, I, I kind of would doubt. And do you think that the government is is mad keen to get this in place for next year, before the next election, essentially? Because Sinn Féin are leading in the polls. There's a very good chance, if it keeps going this way, that they're going to be part of the next government. Yeah, so again, like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure there'll be anyone particularly politically, other than saying that we have brought in automatic enrolment finally after so many years of saying that we would. And so maybe that's a bit of an achievement you want to kind of talk about before an election. But at the same time, and this is one of the things I think that's pushing people towards delaying it, is that do you really want to be telling people that they have to put more of their gross income away into a fund at a time when the cost of living crisis is ongoing? And that's not a very politically popular thing to be doing just before an election either. So I can see how it goes either way, that there's a very the strong incentive to say, well, look, we've done it, we brought in automatic enrolment and done something to address the looming pensions crisis. Or 
is it something which you go, well, let's not tell people that they have to put loads of money away when they kind of need that today. So it, it's, it's, it, could, it could go either way. And, and again, I, th- I, I would think that the latter effect is probably more larger and more salient at the moment and one of the reasons why we're not going to see this brought in on, on time or at least in the way that it is envisaged on time. Jerry Barra mentioned earlier about how people move jobs a lot now, and it's uh, quite true. So let's say somebody, you know, joins this in their 20s and they move jobs a few times, they're still part of this scheme. And then let's just say for argument's sake, they join a bank and suddenly they become a member of the bank's uh, scheme. What happens to their auto-enrollment pot? Uh, it stays within the pot. So um, certainly the, the current design is that there would be no transfers in and out. So this stays as a, you know, state air will continue to be invested um, to retirement. Um, it is one of the difficulties. And again, back to what Barra said, you've now got a pension where some has been under one tax bit, other other bit has been under another. You know, for things like working out what your tax free lump sum is, I'm not sure how that works in practice. Um, Can you transfer? No, no. The, that won't be allowed? Not allowed. I Certainly not allowed initially. There's a lot in this plan that says not initially, and we'll think about it in the future, and this is in the not initially. Um, the one good thing, I think, about the, the CPA structure, and I think some of the logic behind it, is if you are moving a lot and you're with small employers particularly who don't have pension plans you always stay within the same scheme um, one of the problems they have in the UK is that employers nominate their own providers um, and then when people move from employer to employer you often end up in a different pension plan with a different um, usually insurance company um, so they've got a really big problem where lots of people have these tiny pots of money that just charges are eating up all the time so having it all within one place works great but the fact that you've got this entirely different system operating elsewhere makes it more more difficult. And, and the other issue is it, it doesn't include self-employed people as well. So, so if somebody moves from, say, being employed to then working for themselves, um, then you've got another complication there as well. Okay. Dara mentioned the gig economy and Deliveroo riders and Just Eat and all of those uh, people. Are they going to be uh, auto-enrolled into the scheme or not? Again, it's one of those not initially. Um, So, you know, the difficulty around self-employed is most self-employed people don't have sort of steady earnings, so there's nowhere to pay the contributions from on an ongoing basis. Um, They have said it's something they look at, but I'm not aware of any auto-enrollment scheme in the world that's worked out how to actually include self-employed people. Or people who are on freelance arrangements, maybe freelance exactly. journalists, come into the same, yeah. They're into yeah. the same pot, okay. Um, Barry, we have a lot of foreign nationals working in the Irish economy and, you know, some of them stay here forever. Some of them obviously mm-hmm. go back to their home country or, or move elsewhere as their needs require. So just wondering what happens to them if, if they get auto-enrolled. Maybe they'll opt out, but if they get auto-enrolled into a scheme and there's a pot sitting here and then they decide to go back to Eastern Europe, uh, let's say, does the pot still remain here? Can they pull the money out and take it with them? How does that work? That might be a one better for Jerry, sorry. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a big issue for many pension schemes at the moment. So your pot remains here. Um when you come to retirement, you have the right to get your money paid into any EU bank account, for example. So it's all very workable. But from a practical perspective, uh, the main problem is just losing contact with those people. So, you know, you get to retirement age, you're running a pension scheme. Somebody's hit 65. If the retirement age is 65, you're trying to find them to pay them. Um you know, the last address you may have is the address they worked at here 20, 30 years ago. Um and then, you know, there, there are issues around how to tax and stuff works, but it can work. But the, from an administrative point of view, it's quite difficult. Uh, currently, there isn't the ability to just take the money. I know in the Australia system, um, when you're leaving Australia, once you sign and confirm you're leaving for good, you're not coming back. You just get a lump sum less than the amount of tax paid on it. 
And off you go. And off you go. All right, Barrett, does the public get this? Do they understand it? Are they aware of it? Do they appreciate what's coming down the track? I don't think so. And I think part of that is because what's being proposed is quite complicated and, uh, you know, is described in lots of different ways and has been put off so long that I think, you know, if you were sitting at home thinking about pensions, you're, you could probably be forgiven for thinking, well, there's not, you know, not thinking that there's anything going to happen down the line. Um, so I, I don't think that people are aware of it. And I think in a way, this is, again, one of the reasons why you might see the scheme delayed is that people will get, a lot of people will get a very rude surprise next year if the scheme was introduced at the in the way that they're talking about and at the timeline that's being talked about and that they suddenly would see that their gross income or their, their, their net income after tax and, and pension contributions has gone down and I think I think they, a lot of people will get a bit of a shock from that. And the fact that, and this is where we're doing things again a little bit differently from other countries, the fact that you have to, you know, that, that you can't immediately opt out, that there is kind of a bit of a waiting period, that's going to, again, there's going to be some individuals, not many. Again, we've, the ESRI did some research around this, but again, that research was a few years ago when the economic context was quite difficult, different and less difficult. Um, but there are going to be some people who I think will suddenly realise I have less money and I needed every cent that I, I had. And, and those are going to be those lower earners that maybe really are at the pin of their collar at the moment. OK, final question to both of you. On a scale of one to ten, one being no chance and ten being absolutely going to happen, what are the chances of this being up and running by the end of next year? Three. Yeah, I'd have to agree at this point in time. Um, you know, we don't have an administrator appointed. Legislation hasn't come before it at all yet. Uh, we haven't started a procurement process for the investment managers. When the, when the administrator is in place, they have to build the administration system. Uh, there's got to be a lot of um, discussion with payroll providers about what's coming down the line. And we don't have that publicity campaign to make people aware of it. Um, although it was quite interesting in the budget this year, there's no allocation for government contributions. So that makes me think that the Department of Finance aren't expecting to be paying contributions this year. Um, yet... I think the Department of Social Protection is saying employers should still budget for it, but it's impossible to budget for it when you don't know when it's going to start. But it seems very, very unlikely it can happen next year. Sounds like one for out for the next election. Definitely. <laughs> OK. Barry Rountree and Jerry Moriarty, thank you for joining us. OK, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Jerry Moriarty and Barry Rountree for joining me on the show. John Casey produced this episode with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor EY for its continued support. Remember, as a subscriber to the Irish Times, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. The Irish Times Inside Business Podcast in association with EY. Building a better working world. <laughs>